Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. My guest this month on The Compliance Life is Matt Silverman. Matt is not a chief compliance officer, but a director of trade compliance at Viavi. I thought it would be interesting to explore the journey to the director's seat for a trade compliance professional as it mirrors the journey of a chief compliance officer, but also has some unique twists and turns. So over this four-part podcast series in the month of December of 2021, we're going to be exploring Matt's journey, his academic background, his move from private practice to the corporate world, and then some of the unique challenges of a director of trade compliance. I know you'll enjoy this month on The Compliance Life featuring Matt Silverman. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for another episode in this month's series on The Compliance Life. I'm visiting with Matt Silverman. Matt is not a chief compliance officer, but a director of trade compliance, and we've been exploring his journey to the trade director's chair. So, Matt, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Nice to be with you again. So, Matt, we are up to your current position at Viavi Solutions, uh, where you're the Director of Trade Compliance. So I was wondering uh, maybe if we could take a little bit deeper dive in terms of uh, 
not simply the role you have, but how you interact with others in the corporation. Uh, how do you manage a team? How do you keep abreast of what I saw during the Trump administration as literally uh, sanctions and regulations changing, if not hourly, uh, pretty much daily? And how do you incorporate that into actually doing business? So uh, take it away. <laughs> what an easy question to answer. Um, no, it's uh, it, it's the so the short answer is it's um, it's always a challenge to do all of those things, um, especially in the director role where uh, you know a, certainly a chief compliance officer, which I'm I'm not the chief compliance officer as you said, but a, a chief compliance officer has to have um, at least a little a little bit of um, background and interest and knowledge about a lot of different areas of compliance. Um, it's a little bit like that for a trade compliance director, although. So I'd like to think that given um, my experience now and background, um, I've, I've got a lot of knowledge about a lot of different areas within trade compliance. But, you know, my, my focus within trade compliance over the last gosh, um, probably 10 years now, has mostly been on the export side. So um, when I when I joined Viavi as the um, the trade compliance director, I, you know, I, I knew that this was going to be more than just export compliance. Um, this is going to be very different from previous positions where I focus mostly on export licensing issues or deemed export issues. Um, I really had to um, uh, be more involved, which I am on the the custom side as well, which I had had some experience with at um, at Baker Hughes and at Solve. But this really, uh, my current position has really gotten me a lot more involved on the import side as well. So um, a, a piece of obviously being a trade compliance director is. Um, having a, a good knowledge and understanding of both policies and processes in the law when it comes to export, import, sanctions, uh, and as well as to some extent anti-boycott law, uh, which are kind of the I think the the four main areas within trade compliance. So having a good um, um, knowledge and understanding of those, um, you know, my team I, I manage a team of six people. So four, four directly, and then, and then two people who report up to uh, one of the managers who I oversee. So we're a team of six. We are a global team. Um, and we are fortunately a very experienced team. So I think that the the role of a trade compliance director can be very different uh, depending on not just how many people you have on your team, but how experienced those professionals are. So I, I have worked at um, organizations where there were very junior compliance professionals, or maybe there was someone on the trade compliance team who was really had more knowledge about FCPA or about something else, but they brought them on to do trade compliance work. Um, that's not the case where I am now. So I joined this company. I replaced a um, the trade compliance director who retired, who was 20 plus years of experience. And everyone who's on my team is over 10 years of experience. Some people have 30 um, over 30 years of experience, and not just in trade compliance, but with the same company, where uh, it's a very loyal, a very loyal group. So the nice part about that is, and I, I think I mentioned that in our previous discussion, um, is that you really, I think, as a director. Um, Certainly, there's a time to delegate. Certainly, there's a time to maybe be even a mentor or to or to help people understand. But a lot of what I do is trusting in people who have 
more knowledge and more experience in the um, in this instance the tele telecommunications industry. Um, so trusting kind of those people to know that they're doing their job and in many cases know how to do it much better than I do. Um, but obviously at the same time, you know, overseeing the entire program, uh, making sure that we're not getting complacent, right? So I came into an organization that had a a very extensive and comprehensive trade compliance manual. Now, I'm I'm not going to come in and rip everything up on day one and say, we got to start from scratch. But I also can't come in and say, well, everything's working really great. I'll just kind of um, I'll, I'll just kind of sit here at the top and, uh, and and we'll just let things things go along. Part of what I need to do, if not day to day, but week to week or month to month, is look at how we can make improvements to our program. Right. So doing a comprehensive review, for example, of our trade compliance manual, what works, what doesn't. Um, you know, if it's been the same one that we've had for five, ten plus years, which it was, what are some of the things about it that the business maybe doesn't like or understand. What are some of the things about it that my team um, would would prefer that we change? So that's a, a big part of what I do. And the, the trade compliance manual is just one example, but it could be auditing issues. It could be how we process or file um, export licenses, et cetera. There are always, I think, opportunities for a director, especially coming into a program that works very well, to still um, not not find faults, but make sure that a review is being done uh, in terms of where there's room for improvement. And, and obviously, part of that is dependent on things like changes in not only the regulations, but like, for example, with a, a focus on ESG, that's been also one of the things that I focused on this year. Uh, uh, knowing that that's a big part of corporate culture now, what what are we doing to kind of follow the trends of more ESG initiatives, right? Where in past years, maybe that wasn't a focus at all, or there wasn't a lot of focus on it. That's also something where I think I've come into the role and, and tried to define some areas of improvement or areas of focus like those um, so that even though we have a really great program already with really experienced people looking for opportunities always to, to improve on that. So Matt, for my sins at uh, my last corporate position, I was appointed uh, trade control director yeah. uh, while being general counsel. Uh, and but my role, I was very intrigued that it was almost entirely reactive. It was either can we export this, uh, can we get a license for it, or something along those lines. But in listening to you, I really get the sense that the scope of the position has changed, and you really that position and and the way you fulfill that position has really evolved into very much of a of a partner with the business. And that uh, particularly in the, uh, I guess, this administration, but certainly in the last administration, with the changes that were coming at us in terms of sanctions, in terms of uh, other announcements that affected trade compliance, you really had to be uh, nearly on the front lines for your company uh, for a wide variety of trade issues. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I think so, and I I, I, um, I I certainly hope that that's the impression um, that I that I've given, which is nice. Um, which is that I, I think for what I do, for what a lot of trade compliance professionals do now, it is less 
reactive and more proactive. Now that doesn't mean that you um, don't have to be reactive to changing regulations and, and changing your policies with regard to new regulations or sanctions or export controls. Um, for the most part though, um, you know, we we generally know, and this is a general statement, but we generally have an idea of what's coming down the line. Now, if there is a major geopolitical event, um, that could have some um, some impact, right, on 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 what what happens. So, for example, with um, Afghanistan, the pullout earlier in the year, there were some kind of initial uh, reactive things that happened with regard to export licenses and not being able to ship to Afghanistan, things like that. But you know, for the most part in trade compliance now, we try to stay ahead of the game a little a little bit. We kind of have an idea of what's coming down the line. And, and if whether that's because not just we keep up with the news, but, you know, we stay, uh, or at least I do, and my team stays very involved in the industry, industry associations, um, working with the, the government, kind of having an idea of what's, what's coming down the line. And then we do try to be very proactive, working with the business to let them know, um, hey, you know, this um, regulation A may be this way today, but literally in a year or two from now, I mean, that's how far ahead sometimes we're thinking, um, this change in administration or this geo geopolitical change or just the shifting nature of the export control regime may mean that, for example, we may not be able to hire as many Chinese nationals, let's say, going forward because we won't get approval de for deemed export licenses. And and we will work directly with, so for example, for that example, it might be with um, our HR group to explain to them how our talent acquisition and hiring processes may need to change or how we may need to be ready to shift. So so we do try to be very um, proactive. I mean, I, I know that uh, a, a lot of the times, certainly it's, it's sales and business development who will reach out to us and say, we need to export this to this country. How do we do that? Right. That, that certainly happens from time to time. But what we, what we try to do instead is one, um, provide good training and knowledge to our business stakeholders so that they don't even necessarily have to come to us to say that. Uh, you know, our, our salespeople shouldn't have to say, hey, can we, can we export to this country tomorrow? They should know based on training that they've received and policies that have been written and disseminated kind of generally what our policies are. Um, and then and then I also think it's it's kind of behooves most trade compliance professionals to be proactive, to let your sales folks know, um, you know, hey, I, I don't know if you guys were paying attention to this, but there's a whole new um, um, FAQ section that the Department of Commerce just published on trade with Cuba. And are there opportunities here for certain products or technologies that we can get a, an export license for? So that may not be the, um, every trade compliance professional may not see that as their role. They may see it more as a, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to the business when they come to me. I'll put out the fires or answer the questions when they come to me. But I see trade compliance, especially nowadays as as it, it kind of necessitates a more proactive role working with the business giving them a heads up and even helping them possibly to um, to find new opportunities compliant opportunities um, to to um, help the business to evolve Matt this week in my blog post I uh, looked at uh, crises or crisis and tried to say or show how the compliance function can really help a company either uh, detect, prevent, 
or certainly respond to a crisis. But in listening to you, it strikes me that the trade compliance function can also do that. One, because of kind of an early warning tickler system. Two, having your finger a little bit on the pulse of the administration or other uh, group that might release um, some new regs or sanctions. But also number three, in just help providing, uh, I hate to say straight legal support, but straight legal support in yep. saying, you know, no, uh, we can't hire these certain nationals for this project and, and really uh, a very strong prevent prong as well. Would you see it uh, the same or similar? Yeah, I, I do. And I, I think, you know, um, I, I know that my company and other companies I've worked for um, certainly seek input from trade compliance in terms of risk management, right? In terms of looking ahead, whether it's um, six months ahead of time or, or five years down the line, doing risk assessments and, and looking at what the potential, if you want to call them, um, crises are down the line or other uh, risks that we can help to mitigate. I think tr- um, trade compliance has to play a part of that. Um, if you're excluding trade compliance from your your risk assessment, I, I think a company is making a big mistake uh, because a, a big part of what we do is helping the business to assess potential risk. So that may be um, that may be a risk that based on geopolitical developments in Russia or China, that we, we may not be able to hire people from those countries. Um, it may be a risk um, that based on corruption or other um, um, other things going on, like, for example, with, with Belarus and some of the uh, uh, corruption issues going on there, how that impacts your supply chain, how that impacts your customer base, where you will or will not be able to continue to provide support. I mean, those are all things that from a trade compliance perspective, we try to be um, a little bit forward looking so that we're not the one going into the C-suite saying, hey, we we had no idea this was coming, but starting tomorrow, no more exporting to this customer, no more exporting to this country. Because then you're really in a spot where I think your CCO or your CEO will look at you and say, how, how did you not know that this was potentially coming down the line? And, and like I said, it's not that there are no, um, that there are no cases where, you know, tomorrow a change in the regs is made and you didn't see it coming, but that's very, that's the exception, not, um, not the rule. The, the rule is generally that even with political shifts or geopolitical developments, you can start to see where where this is going and how it might affect sanctions issues. And if you know your supply chain, this is a, another thing I try to stress as a, um, a trade compliance professional, if you know your supply chain, if you know your customers, um, especially the big customers, but where your customers are, what parts of the business support, what customers, where you source from, then you can kind of predict it or a little bit, or at least be ready to go to the business and say, hey, you know, we're sourcing from X, Y, and Z or from this country, that may prove to be difficult in the in the coming weeks or in the coming years um, be, because of the information that we're getting from whether it's the news or industry association events or talking to government regulators at the, you know, annual uh, BIS update conference. So, uh, yeah, again, important to stay uh, up-to-date, proactive, and uh, and yeah, I just can't stress that enough, how important it is to have a, a risk management uh, analysis, uh, having trade compliance be a part of that company's risk management analysis. 
Matt, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us next time for our fourth and final episode where I ask you to to maybe peer into the crystal ball and look down the road. So I greatly look forward to continuing this conversation. Thanks, Tom. Looking forward to it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.